you're listening to I'm Just Here for the Popcorn, and we're back for a special bonus episode this week because Mulan, the 2020 live action version, comes out next week. Uh, so I guess it's a special two-part episode because we're going to treat you with a reflection on the 1998 animated feature Mulan as well. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I'm Kylie. And I'm Tom. Before we start, I do want to share what we learned just recently that uh, star of Black Panther, uh, Chadwick Boseman, uh, passed away at the age of 43. Um, He had colon cancer. He must have kept that very quiet because I don't remember hearing anything about that. Not that I look into the lives of these celebrities, but that came as a shock it was so sad i didn't believe it like my boss had a group text message with us and some um with some people from work and i got the text and i was like no no that can't be true and i looked it up and it's just so devastating when you told me i'm like they're killing off the character why would they do that like it mentally in my head but no like i i couldn't believe it you know and was looking at his resume it was very impressive he had a jackie robinson film 42 he had a james brown film uh get on up and he was even in a film about thurgood marshall from the supreme court in the 1950s i think it just you know 43 you know like it's older than us uh, but that's still pretty young you know we do appreciate everything he brought to black panther i miss him in those movies you know i don't know what they're gonna do with that but more important thing is remembering him. We wanted to acknowledge um, an actor that we admire and kind of share that we are sad about his passing. And we know that many people, you know, people he worked with, people who watched him are going to, you know, express that too. So He will be very missed. Yeah. Feel free to kind of head over to Instagram and let us know, you know, if you have any, you know, kind words about Chadwick Boseman or... Um, we'll also link our email in the show notes. And today, let's talk about Mulan. You want to hit us with the fast facts, son? So the, the movie name is Mulan, just like the 2020 film. It was released June 19th, 1998, with a budget of $90 million. Uh, the box office amount was $304.3 million. Uh, So I have statistics for both the year and for Disney animated features. Uh, for Disney Animated, it's 19th out of like 50-some films. There's some films that that box office information isn't there, but uh, it's 19th. And it's not adjusted for inflation, by the way. There could be a slightly different ordering. But it's in the middle of the pack in terms of box office. In 1998, it was number 7 at the box office. It came out during the summer blockbuster season. Number 1 that year was Armageddon. At five hundred fifty-five million, Deep Impact, which is like the same theme, like either Halley's Comet or a giant asteroid is rocketing toward Earth, and a group of astronauts need to go up and destroy like this uh, giant rock before it hits Earth. Number two was Saving Private Ryan, four hundred eighty-five million, released the same month, June. Uh, then you have Godzilla at number three, 376 million. That was in May. And then the month after, you have number four, There's Something About Mary, uh, 370 million. Uh, the only other film I'm going to bring up is A Bug's Life, 
even though it was released in November, it's kind of in that Disney family of films. Shares the same target audience, for sure. I don't think at the time Pixar was officially owned by Disney, but at least they were in a partnership of making films together. Uh, Bugs Life was $363 million. Um, But Mulan still did very well. Um, Yeah. I think a lot of the films that you mentioned, there's not a lot of overlap in people who are going to go see Saving Private Ryan and Mulan unless they're taking them to, unless they're taking their kids to see it. I think, I almost feel like now more people are kind of like comfortable saying like, I like this movie that was made for a kid, you know, like we wanted to watch the How to Train Your Dragon series recently, or like we love going to see the animated movies. We got super excited when Frozen 2 came out on Disney+. Plus. I think that there's maybe not a lot of overlap at that time of people going to see those kind of movies and Mulan. Like today, I think it would be different. I think it's more accepted that going to see these Disney films is not just for the kids, but there's something for the adults as well. And there, there's definitely something for the adults back in the 90s, I, I could say. But it's not like that was discussed. Rewatching this again i could definitely like i see some humor moments that we'll get into um that i don't think i picked up on when i was a kid so uh do you have any other fast facts for us i do so the directors um not known for other directing work but they were both have a history of animation with disney uh so there's two directors tony bancroft who was like the lead animator on like cogsworth and beauty and the beast and this character and Lion King and Aladdin, and Barry Cook, uh, who went on to co-direct Arthur Christmas in 2011. We love that movie. Oh, it's one of our favorites. Yeah, so they were just like animators that had worked with Disney before and various other films brought in for this. So this story's based off The Ballad of Mulan, which is uh, written by Kwa Miao Kien. Then there was like a based off like a story like an americanized story version of it by uh, robert d sanjusuchi um so they he's a collaborator with disney and also he didn't officially write the story but they use his work based off this chinese legend um so the cast mostly asian which is a big deal for the 1990s you know i think even films that weren't from you know europe they didn't really it's mostly white actor so it's a big deal to have the lead and many of the other cast to be of asian descent so ming na wang plays fua Mulan. i love ming na i know her from uh agents of shield as agent melinda may that was like before i knew you know she was the voice of Mulan. that was my exposure to her and that character is one of my favorites and now i just love ming na as a result <laughs> Uh, I remember her from ER, which she probably was on like around the time she did Mulan or shortly after. Um, the singing voice was Leah Salonga. You might remember her voice as Jasmine, the Aladdin feature in 1992. I have to say, I'm really glad that Disney stopped doing that with like, you know, assigning a different actor or a different voice actor for the singing voice versus the speaking voice because... It it's just honestly so bizarre to me. Can you tell sometimes when it's like that's a different person singing? I think if I really listen to the songs, and I think this time around when like I listen to it and I like okay, yep, I hear Ming Na in Mulan, 
and I, you know, I did, I don't know what she sounds like when she sings, but I, and the, the songs, the other thing is the songs are so like part of us now for lack of a better way of phrasing it. Like we've listened to these songs over and over again. So like, that's just the song for Mulan, you know, like, so yeah. it, it's hard to, to distinguish that, I think. So, okay. Uh, rest of the cast, uh, Eddie Murphy plays Mushu, the little dragon, B.D. Wong, uh, from Jurassic Park. And Law and Order plays Captain Lee Shang. Uh, his singing voice is Donny Osmond. A lot of the cast has like a singing alternative to step in for them. Uh, interesting thing for the Chinese version of this film, Jackie Chan does both the regular and singing voice for Shang. Jackie Chan can sing. I don't know why they didn't have him in this one. M- Miguel Frere uh, plays Sean Yu, the villain. Harvey Firestein. Uh, plays Yao. It's kind of the bully of the friends uh, she meets at, uh, of Mulan's crew when she starts uh, her training. Uh, Getty Watanabe, who plays plays Ling. Uh, a couple other notable actors in this. Uh, George Takai from Star Trek uh, plays the first ancestor. So when they have the, like all the spirits come out, he's the first one. Uh, and Miriam Margolis, who plays Professor Sprout, as we're just reviewing the Harry Potter series now, she plays the matchmaker. Oh, I love that. A little bit of overlap. Yeah, especially at the same time we're doing the other series. The score is by Jerry Goldsmith, who's worked on films in the 70s and 80s, like Patton, some of the Star Trek films, Planet of the Apes, the old ones, Alien, and The Mummy, which comes out a year after this. Production companies, Walt Disney Animation Studios. We watched it on Disney+. Plus. I noticed it was only in HD, not 4K, like some of the other Disney films. So that's interesting. I wonder when they're, they're going to convert it to 4K. The runtime, I had in my notes it was an hour 27 minutes. But in Disney+, Plus, it was an hour 33. So let's just say an hour and a half. It was nominated for one Academy Award uh, Best Animated Musical Score. Some fun facts. In 1994, the artistic supervisor spent two weeks in China exploring the culture, taking pictures for inspiration. They went to the Great Wall of China and other places just to get a real feel for it. They wanted the animation to feel authentic. They've done this for many of their other films. I think they did that for Snow White. They hired like European artists who did children's books to come in and help inspire them there. So they always want their films to look authentic visually to what they're representing in the original legend not surprising there were no dragons or animal companions going along no lucky crickets or unlucky crickets <laughs> cricky right that's an this is a fun fact i love and appreciate in 1999 mulan became disney's first ever dvd release and Mulan is the second Disney princess to have both parents alive during the film. So this one starts with the villain, which I don't think is uncommon in Disney movies. Um, like I know off the top of my head, we had watched Snow White recently and it started with the villain there as well. So I thought that that was, you know, kind of like setting the scene for what's going on and what's going to lead Mulan away from her home. I noticed like, they open on like a bang but every scene that we have Sean Yu the villain in it's always displaying his strength like ferocity you know like 
like you see the Great Wall of China. One guy is just you know doing his patrol, and then all of a sudden one grappling hook comes up, and he looks down like what the hell is going on? And then all of a sudden like thousands of them just keep on like hitting up, and he starts trying to run so he can light the torch. And then there's like guys already up on the wall. He gets it, he lights it, but then Shan Yu shows up, takes the flag that's right next to the to the flame, and like dips it into the fire. And the guy's like, now all of China will know you're here. And he's like, good. He wants, like, the challenge. You know, like, he's essentially a predator that you might have seen in some other Disney films, like uh, Jungle Book, you know, like the the tiger. One of the scary things about him is he's just intelligence and calculated, you know, evil feels, like, very scary. He's only one note but he doesn't need to be anything more than that he's literally a physical and like strategic threat you know like most of the other characters like in leadership roles do not are not able to outsmart him you know they do not know what they're up against i I know i've watched this movie as an adult when i was in college we used to um like book study rooms and we would just take out disney movies from the library and watch disney movies in the study room instead of actually studying but and i'm sure mulan was one of them i don't ever think i paid enough attention watching it like i did when we watched it and i don't know if i really noticed the villain as much because that's not like when i watch mulan i'm watching mulan for mulan i don't you know like that's always going on the you know the villain's story and his role in mulan's story but, you know, paying attention to it this time, it's it really, like, kind of scary, that the way that he goes about it. Also, the way he's drawn, his and most of his men's skin is gray in color, like, kind of like they're soulless. He has yellow eyes, and his teeth look like a vampire's teeth, you know, like, he's either a vampire or a demon. And the way he's introduced kind of gave me the feel of when Thanos was introduced in Infinity War. This guy is a huge physical threat, but he also, you know, he knows what he is. He's like, he's inevitable. Like, he will come for you. Like, there's no stopping him. That's such an interesting comparison, him to Thanos. Because, like, as soon as you said that, I, I could absolutely see that as well. This, like, you know, massive presence making, like, causing such destruction. Just, like, the combination of a physical threat plus a strategic threat because he can outmaneuver them you know even though they think they're making great moves but he keeps on like messing things up for the chinese army until we get to the end of the second act from the villain we do have to meet our protagonist mulan yes so i love how she's introduced because first you see the emperor and his, you know, advisor. And then the general of his army, they're discussing, like, China's been invaded, what do we do? And the emperor's like, we need to, like, go out, have every man from every family, like, one man from every family. We need to bolster our army. Even the general's like, oh, my men can take him. It's like, no, no, no. One man can tip the scale between victory and death. And, of course, it, it cuts not to a man, but to the lead female of our story, Mulan. I do like that when you see Mulan, she's drawing like the um, symbols on her arm to cheat at this <laughs> matchmaking exam, I guess, for lack of a better term that she has later. And I think that that's like, it, it's pretty funny because it's see, when you, you meet Mulan, you see all these things 
that she's doing to try to be, I guess, efficient, you know, the way that she has her dog help her with her chores. She's like, okay, I don't need to study. I'm just going to write this on my arm and make a little cheat sheet here. Yeah, I just admire her efficiency. <laughs> so she ties the chicken feed to her dog and then she attaches like a, a bone on a stick to the back of it. So it's kind of like a you know, carrot dangling that he wants. So he runs off and the leaving feed behind and the chickens start to follow but the brilliance of of this is how it affects other things because she's like in in trying to be efficient and clever and do things her way you see the next scene where her dad is going to pray to the ancestors and pray for mulan because it's a big day for mulan she's going to the matchmaker and he wants things to go okay and then all of a sudden the dog runs up leaving chicken feed behind and the chicken feeds swarm in behind him it's like this nice moment of supposed to be like prayer and serenity and then here comes the chaos which is mulan he, he's like please help me please you know like as it's all going around him, he doesn't stop to look at any of the chaos to either side of him he just keeps his focus on the ancestors but he knows, like, oh, she definitely caused this, you know. He wants Mulan to be somebody that she's not. So he's, like, kind of begging for her to just do what she's supposed to do. And this is, like, evidence, like, right there that she's not going to fit into this box that you have for her. She meets her mother and grandmother on the way to the matchmaking service. Can I just say that I love a good sassy grandmother character? Like, those are my favorite. I know in uh, Moana, you get another, like, really, like, sassy kind of eccentric grandma. And I just appreciate that. Like, how she's, like, being just bold and testing her luck with the cricket. Like, has no fucks left to give or has no fucks to give. So she's just going to walk across the street with this cricket that she thinks is lucky. I also just want to say that, like, while she's eccentric and while she's a good sassy grandmother character and she's funny, she still goes along with what's expected of women. She does, like, what's expected of women. She does kind of like give Mulan like, oh, no, 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 you can go over there and see what's happening. You know, like she doesn't exactly expect her to fall in line with what everybody else wants of her. But she still, you know, knows what a woman's place is and what a woman's supposed to do. I love the cricket named Cricky. It's unclear if he actually provides luck. Mushu says it at the end. I think he was just like bestowed with this, you know lucky trait it's almost like Mulan where there's this like obligation to perform and to be what you're expected to be and he didn't believe he was lucky he just the grandmother said he was lucky and he feels like he 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 should be so he's trying to fill this role that people expect of him and I think all along he was a lucky cricket just because of you know everything that happened and then Mushu does say like you're one lucky cricket and realizes he is but it's a tiny bit of a parallel between like him trying to fill this expectation and Mulan trying to fill the expectation of her family. That's an excellent point. Never thought of that. Mulan's got to bring honor to the family. And I think it's interesting, this concept of honor and what bringing honor to your family means for a woman and what bringing honor to your family means as a man the expectation of mulan to bring honor to the family is to be a good 
woman to find a husband to do all the things that she's supposed to do to not be too skinny to you know paint her face the way that her husband expects to to cook the way that her husband expects her to bringing honor to your family is for a woman and then for a man that's like her father going off to war when he's not in any shape to go off to war he'll die for honor and um shang even says that later in the film too it's like let's die with honor that's what honor is to a man is fighting or representing your family in your ancestors so it's not about like living the life you want to live like the sense of agency is missing all your your movements your actions are based off what is expected of you and that's it you know if we go through these disney films like i'm curious to pick up signs of culture and maybe because Mulan's different because it's such a different culture but I feel like there's emphasis on the way like culture is infused with this movie you know I don't know how accurate it is you know it's the American interpretation of what Chinese culture is right like a very heavily Americanized culture like we went to St. Lucia on our honeymoon and of course we went to sandals we didn't want to have to like plan anything after you know planning a wedding we just wanted something all inclusive and easy we did expect to experience some culture there some of the some saint lucian culture there and honestly it was all just like overly americanized culture like put into this resort and i almost feel like that's what at least the earlier disney movies are is this very like americanized version of culture put into the the movie we get to the part where they're like getting her ready for the matchmaker they're putting her makeup on doing her hair like getting like her dress on to you know her clothing right so she'll look good for the matchmaker and the matchmaker will find her a nice husband right so the song's like you'll bring honor to us all like and these are all the things you need to have but along the way she's showing what she's actually good at you know, she walks by two men, two old men playing, like, I assume it's like a, a Chinese version of chess, you know, they're playing, and she walks over and moves one of the men's, one of the guy's pieces, and, uh, like, a one guy instantly wins. Well, it's, it's interesting because that, that's a great point that you're bringing up, is that she's, along the way, she's showing what she's actually good at versus what they're expecting her to be good at. But then the other piece of it is like that whole strategy component and seeing things from a different perspective is like that's how she kind of saves the day twice in the end. And that's it's seen here. And I I love that you brought that up. One shows her ingenuity. She's able to beat the game with one move that she like wasn't like she just stepped in on it. And then two, she stands up against bullies. That one kid stole a little girl's dolly. And then she swiftly picks it up and then gives it right back to her. I do love that by the time she gets to the matchmaker, her hair has fallen slightly. Like the other women around her are still kind of like perfect and poised. And she's kind of a little bit of a mess. And I like think that's very telling of Mulan's character. And I noticed toward the end of the song, the only thing, I think the main reason why she's doing this is she really cares about her dad and her his health and hope that you know like she prays her ancestors that he's gonna be okay before even before he gets enlisted i i had that kind of note down here too that there's this theme of not wanting to disappoint her parents specifically her dad at the end of the day she really wants to be who she is but she doesn't want to disappoint him and i think that's 
a lot of people can kind of relate to that feeling. Like, I, I don't think I ever experienced this. My dad's kind of like, you know, follow your dreams. He let me go get a degree in writing. Like, he, I didn't have any kind of expectations from him, but I have, you know, talked to people or heard stories of people who their parents wanted them to be a doctor or wanted them to be a lawyer and have this like expectation of this role that they had to fill even if their passions were creative, you know, that they wanted to be an artist, but there was this expectation for them to step into this role of being a doctor. That's, I think, while, you know, maybe there are some ways that you can't relate to Mulan, that kind of theme of not wanting to disappoint your parents is relatable. So she's kind of forced to play this role, but she's not very good at it because she doesn't want to play it. So we get to the matchmaker scene. I did not remember how funny this was. And it was a little bit of like, slapsticky kind of humor but it did make me laugh out loud and I don't know if that's because I wasn't expecting it to be as funny but I I really did kind of laugh out loud with this whole matchmaker scene I think my favorite gag which I guess Disney's known for back into like the 1920s you know the short little six minute gag films and I don't mean like people gagging. I mean like, you know, stupid little slapstick type humor. The one joke I, I love the payoff for was the ink on her arm. You know, she took the bath and it was probably really hot. So it starts melting. And then uh, the matchmaker does touch her arm at one point and then has the ink on her hand. And Milan's like watching carefully. It's like a bomb about to go off. And then she touches her face. And now she has like a goatee in ink. And then she's about to drink the tea and the cricket is just hanging in there like it's a jacuzzi and it's like a perfect setup for all these other things like she falls into hot coal she's got hot tea spilled all over her and then when it's like oh somebody put the fire out and Mulan like is scrambling and the best she can do is put the tea right in her face despite all of this she kind of goes home in shame the matchmaker publicly yells at her in front of the mother in front of the grandmother and she goes home in shame but her dad kind of comes to cheer her up. He's not always the person who is going to be like, you know, hey, it's okay that you didn't live up to expectations. But in this instance, he sees how it defeated her, that she couldn't do what she was supposed to do. And he comes to comfort her. So two things with that. One, I feel like it's like a Disney trope, at least for the th films I'm thinking about. It's a character like has a run in with people in town it's like, oh, you're so horrible. You'll never be this. You know, like, you'll never fit in. Mulan bringing honor to her family. Aladdin's a street rat. You know, you'll never be more than that. Hercules destroying, like, all the vases in the town square. He, he He's not going to be able to fit in with humans. And you're right. There is a special connection with them. He sees the cherry blossoms. He points out the one that hasn't quite bloomed yet. And then he says, this one will be the most beautiful of all. And he puts like the barrette in her hair. And she's doing all of this partly as a form of expression, but she really cares about her dad and she wants to defend him. Otherwise, he'll be, he would die off very quickly. And then, yeah, so she's almost like ashamed at herself, but also that whole like reflection scene where we get to that reflection song. She's struggling with that it's she's like slightly ashamed or maybe disappointed or just maybe frustrated with the fact that she can't be what people want her to be reflection's a great song i love that like you're seeing visual reminders like she's looking at herself in the water mm -hmm. she can see herself through the gravestones and then 
part where she takes her makeup off like one half at a time, leading like a dual life. I think the song is uh, covered by Christina Aguilera, right? Yeah, it is. I remember that in the 90s. I think that this song, I mean, we'll talk about the other song later, which is my favorite of this movie, but this is Mulan's like key song. It's kind of lets you into her mind of kind of the feeling of living a lie. It's beautiful, this song, but it's also like painful to hear because she feels like she can never show her true identity, which it's funny enough, she has to pretend to be a man in an army where she can't show her identity under threat of death. And then she finally starts to feel like herself, though even pretending to to step into this role of Ping. So next we see Chifu come to announce that every family was going to need a male representation to come and fight in this war and mulan's dad is the only male in the the fu family is that fu fa mulan so here's an interesting thing in this disney film it's fa like fa in english i looked up there's a more correct pronunciation that they will use in the 2020 film i think it's like hua it's h-u-a okay so he's going to represent that family Mulan stands up for him, and of course, um, the Chifu says, control your daughter. Like, you know, women shouldn't be speaking out like that. And it gets to this whole, like, kind of intense and emotional scene where it's like the, the dad can't, he physically can't go do this, but for honor, he is going to do it because that's what he believes is right. That's what he believes he has to do interestingly here when the father goes to accept the enlistment uh, scroll he has enough strength to pretend just there just to walk up take it and come back you know like he has a very like deliberate slow paced walk to not show he needs a cane he's physically not able to do this but he has just enough strength to put on a show for everyone else how horrible that is interesting because i didn't perceive that as him putting on a show i've perceived it as him saying like okay i'm going to do this and being strong or fighting past it in order to like almost like prove to himself that he could do it to 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 do what's expected of him to do what he needed to do i i didn't necessarily feel like he was putting on a show for everybody i just felt like he was stepping into this honorable role where you know an an honorable man of the family is gonna go to war and he's gonna do the best that he can and in a way like he milan have a connection there where he's pretending to be strong and is adept of a war he used to be milan's pretending to be like a man enlisted so she can take her father's place and then you you do see him you know try to fight later on and like after like 10 seconds of like oh he's you know he's a formidable warrior he's good with a sword and then he falls down he's known for that like from like his the injury that he has now is from another war that he's fought in so people know his name but I, i do think it's interesting like she says to him you know so you'll die for honor and he responds you know i'll die doing what's right and I think that that's like kind of telling of what Mulan's going through. It's this expectation on her to do what she's told because that's right versus what she believes to be right. Nobody questions what society says is right except for Mulan in this situation. So the definition of what's right versus what is expected of you, you know, I mean, what is expected of you should be what is right. Mulan finally figures out what is ethically right to do is to take her father's place so he does not have to endure another war. His body cannot take it. So she makes that choice 
after seeing she's out there in the rain in the dragon statue and she can see through a silhouette the light on in her family home her dad and her mom talking it looks like they're having an argument or like the mom looks like she's like worried about him going off to war and he's like no i have to do this and then you see the light go out and you think like that's the end of the story that's the end of her father right there but she refuses to accept that and that's why she goes off she puts her barrette down takes the scroll instead and then proceeds to arm herself with her dad's armor her sword and takes the the family horse as well she does and she cuts her hair which um, I just wanted to point out in uh, quarantine before the hair salons opened, I got really fed up with my long hair and watched a YouTube video and took some scissors to it. So watching Mulan like take a sword to her hair, I kind of like, <laughs> I kind of felt that like kind of, you know, that feeling when you <laughs> chop it all off. But then it goes to the next scene where you get to meet the ancestors and the way that they show up, they have like these like, god's vibes from hercules like that's i felt that when you see the ancestors show up my favorite joke right there is uh they bring in mushu was mushu like supposed to be at one point like a fearsome dragon but now he's uh, i took it as he had been one of the like was it the protectors of the guardians at one point and then he disappointed them that it's the guy that lost his head and because yeah, of that thanks he was, a lot <laughs> because of that he was demoted to ringing the gong okay that makes sense he's a dragon but he's also a small runt you know so he's not respected by the ancestors and even when he gets met by mulan and the horse uh khan he's not really like even though he's a dragon he's not respected you know he can't be that dragon you know all he does is ring the gong you know kind of he's kind of like the stenographer at the ancestor meeting like he has a lowly job essentially and of course he screws up on the way to doing like the one job he's supposed to do but again this is another kind of like slight parallel to mulan's story is like he doesn't do things the conventional way and still manage to you know succeed in the end through his backwards approach to doing things Oh, yeah, so he actually kills this great stone giant and takes his place. But he decides to do something different because I think the stone dragon's objective was to bring Mulan home. And he decides, instead of bringing Mulan home, I want to do something that's going to get me recognition and get me back in their good graces. I'm going to make Mulan a warrior and have her help like, save the day in this war. And, of course, uh, Cricky joins along with him. They're not the exact same personalities, but it kind of reminds me of one speaking uh, sidekick and one non-speaking one that just speaks with weird noises. Like Star Wars has done this with C-3PO and R2-D2. So I felt like they were kind of filling those roles, even though they're not exactly the same. (laughs) I see that, yeah. Yeah, I think definitely um, Eddie Murphy as Mushu brings in a lot of the humor there and makes those jokes that I'm like, oh... I did not catch that when I was a kid. I like his sidekick character. I'd say in all of the the Disney verses, I don't know if Mushu is my favorite, but he's definitely, definitely funny and definitely a little bit of screw up, which adds to the humor. He's definitely memorable. If I were to rank them, I think, which we could, I think I would rank Mushu and Cricky pretty high. They're pretty memorable. I think it's Eddie Murphy's voice. He's also, you know, Donkey. And I was kind of thinking like, can I see like Donkey here? as well i think there are 
similarities in the way that like both characters kind of tend to be vocal and opinionated and forcing their way on the on the other person that they're with so before mulan joins up with the army and meets mushu we have one scene now and then another scene a little later on that you brought up sean Yu. one scene he meets he, he finds the chinese scouts trying to figure out the size of his force and his men find those scouts very easily and you notice like things he has he has that giant eagle finds the doll for them so that's their scout so you get to see that he has this jagged sword of course it's very villainous there's something like corrupted and twisted about it and then he talks to the scout he explains why he's you know fighting the chinese here it's like oh he invited me by building his wall he likes the challenge he likes showing his strength and his ability off or something like maybe mulan has her abilities but she doesn't she doesn't show off she has her abilities which she keeps to herself because she's not supposed to have those abilities she's supposed to you know be what they want her to be the scariest part about this scene is when they let those scouts go to tell the the emperor and the armies that they're coming tell them the size of our force for them and there's two of them right and then he talks to his lieutenant who's got the bow and arrow how many men does it take to deliver a message and then the other one responds one and then you don't even get to see the arrow move you just say like it it's so dark without actually showing the violence and i appreciate that as somebody who's not very much into gory films the the level of fear that you need to have for the villain for the big bad in this without you know getting violent and obviously it is a movie made for children but that is a a very dark element to it and i don't think i ever i remembered that from any of the other viewings i had with it i mean there's definitely moments where other disney films have a dark side but i'm having a hard time remembering if there's any other disney films that take place during a war you know like this is a war film and i appreciate the the darkness that comes with that i just appreciate they're not afraid to reflect that here it's funny that you say it a war film the scene the whole like i'll make a man out of you sequence reminds me of that first episode of band of brothers that you showed me i like that came to mind when we were watching that i think we watched that fairly recently and seeing the like i'll make a man out of you these soldiers training to be the best that they can be definitely like had those kind of vibes i like that you brought that up yeah three miles up three miles down because we're about to get to meet the rest of the army she's gonna be serving with you know of course they butt heads at first but then they become you know pretty close allies and it takes that i'll make a man out of you music montage i guess for for that to happen and i think it's like we talked about before a lot of these like you know quotes like what the emperor said in the beginning it just takes one man to make a difference the lyrics in this song like you know did they send me daughters when i asked for sons they did send you a daughter and, and then they winked at the camera and i'm like oh <laughs> i get it now they know and mulan is a woman and she's the one who ends up saving the day and even throughout the course of this scene she's the one who shows them all up she's the one who's most determined and i have to say there's no reason for her to do that it's not like her objective was to come and win the war necessarily her objective was to come in place of her father so he didn't have to be there so the fact that she pushes the fact that she steps up and you know really shows them all up i think speaks to 
who Mulan truly is versus what everybody wants her to be. I was I was perfect. I was gonna bring up more of the comedic stuff, but I, I like that you <laughs> led with that. Um, so before she gets into the army camp, she meets uh, Mushu, who tries to make a great show of himself, but then reveals that you know he's like a foot tall. Um, and I love that her horse, uh, Khan, like immediately like tries to stomp on him like it's a little fire. And I noticed that like he like fills a role like Jiminy Cricket. And maybe like Poke Pinocchio, he acts as like her conscious, like whispering in her ear, say this, say that, you know. And then she gets to go into the camp and meet men that are not part of her family, you know. There's a guy picking his nose and another guy using chopsticks to clip his toes. And then another guy with the, the guy with the dragon tattoo. But he looks like very like out of touch, like this tattoo will protect me from harm. And then he really gets beat up. What I like is that there's... I mean, obviously the joke there is that, like, they're men and boys are gross, I guess. Like, that's the the joke. But um, none of these men in this army are fit for the role. And, I, I mean, I guess that's what you get when you just pull a man from every family. But none of them are ready for this. None of them know how to do this. And Mulan is the one that that ends up showing them all up like she as a woman succeeds in a way that these men can't even though they're all kind of at the same level of being unprepared right because her army the one she's in is not the the trained professionals the other army that you know we barely see them because it's the general he goes off pretty quickly and you know he never returns because his army gets defeated by Shan Yu. Shang does a good job training up these men though and like kind of I think it's his expectation that he has for them and then Mulan doesn't want to disappoint obviously like you know Mushu jokes she has a crush on him and so on but I I think she does it for bigger reasons as well like she doesn't want to disappoint him she wants to step into this role of something that she can actually succeed at. We also get to meet Li Shang the captain of this army and his interactions with uh, the administrative Chief uh, Fu. Shang, he's really good at his job. You know, he's got misfits as his soldiers, but he's he's very physically adept. He does prove himself to to some degree as a leader, but Chief Fu is very dismissive of him. It's like, you got this job because your dad's the general. I got my this job on my own merit. You know, there's a difference. Even though Chief Fu is not very likable, almost like a filch of this story, um, like he at least has the pride of like earning his job versus you know like uh assuming it because your dad had the job but i will also say that i think shang earned his position by training this group of men and mulan to succeed to be smart to be you know swift as a coursing river and he trains these men to be a successful army and i think that that's it's you know whether or not his father's the general that speaks to his abilities now would he want them to be mysterious as the dark side of the moon as well i'm not sure i think so and throughout the course of that and i, I really like seeing them kind of go from for lack of a better phrase, zero to heroes. In this I'll make a man out of you scene, Mushu tries to help Mulan by cheating in a couple different ways. And of course, Shang catches them every time, but it was definitely reminiscent of in the beginning where Mulan tried to cut corners by, you know, writing her, making a cheat sheet on her arm. And it wasn't until she used her, you know, true strength and abilities or determination that she was able to succeed. Before I speak on that song, there's two little 
beats. One's comedic, one's a little like sad because of the foreshadowing. Uh, the comedic thing is when she has to, like, who is she? Like, who's this new conscript, you know? Because she's causing, she accidentally caused this giant brawl among everyone. Um, it's like, I, I have a name. I have a, a boy's name, you know? Uh, and then eventually lands on Ping. Um, and then tries to, like, uh, it's like, oh, you're uh, Fa Zhu's uh, son. So he never he never talks about me. He tries to do that, like, spit thing, and it doesn't quite get off of her, her mouth. So gross. And the other beat is a little more somber, where it's uh, when you meet Shang, he's also saying goodbye to his dad because his dad's going off to fight while Shang's going to stay here and train the recruits. And his father says, good luck, Captain. And then Shang's like, good luck, father. You know, like, you'll get to see this is uh, the connection between Shang and Mulan is they both have great respect for their fathers. And neither of them want anything bad to happen to him. So when Shang loses his father later on, you can see, like, Mulan like, can empathize with him. Now let's get to I'll make a man out of you. I think I already got to it, but what do you have oh, no, to no, add? But th- this, this is, like, the scene of the movie. You know, everyone knows this one. I have to say it's interesting that, like, the... I've heard that song so many times. Like, that's a great song to work out to. We've run, you know, to that song before. We had just, like, put it on while we're cooking. Like, listen to it a bunch of times. But actually watching it with the visuals alongside of it, I think it's, like, a different experience, too. Like, I feel like the next run I need to listen to this song maybe, like, five times in a row. Like, that has so much, like, momentum to it. And I love that it's, like, this classic montage like fighting sequence that you see in like the Rocky films or you know a lot of 80s action films where it's like out of shape person or kind of someone who's you know not not like a weakling but they're just not physically able to do what they need to do yet so it starts with uh Shang takes an arrow and like shoots it to the top of like a really tall post and he says uh Yao because Yao's being a little bit of a smart ass like go collect the arrow so oh before you go I want to give you two these two things and the two like weights this represents strength this represents discipline you'll need both to get to the top and they all fail and when Yao is getting up there and he falls i know it's supposed to be for comedic effect but it looks so painful his teeth digging into the wood agreed and throughout the course of the song it's not just mulan who gets better like this is a song to show her improvement of course but the other men get better too and i think mulan inspires that because once she does actually make it to the top and takes that arrow down like obviously shang's impressed but like everybody else is also like kind of trying to keep up with her i think they were all failing even though mulan was kind of cheating they were all failing until shang's like all right ping go just go home like she, you're done you know like i don't think she was successful at cheating i think she tried to cheat but it didn't work because he caught her every time and it was just like it's it's again trying to cut corners isn't going to get you where you want to go so she wasn't growing with her training because she was trying to cheat all the time and you notice that when they're going up the mountain they have the weights on their arm and she falls down shang simply picks up hers and keeps going without her leaving her defeated and then that's when he says okay you can leave because it's just clearly not cut out for this and that's when she decides like in the middle of the night to climb that post she spent feels like she probably spends all night getting to the top of it but she does and then like as dawn is breaking 
everyone can see, including Shang, that she's climbing on. She's like sweating, but it's like as the music's building and building and building, and then she she gets it, and that's the turning point for not only for her character but all the men. They grow with her, and then now you can see everyone working together. They're no longer trying to uh, knock her down or fight her. They're all like working in unison. Um, you know, when they're training with the bow staffs, they're all moving. You know, the same rate. Um, they know how to use the explosive, the firework device now. Yeah, I was a little friendlier toward her. He he catches her um, biting stick, but passes it along to her. Instead of trying to trip her, like the first time. Yeah. yeah, and then that's like a nice kind of transition into them being friends or having this little like friend group. Because in the next scene, she almost gets caught. She's like, you know, just because I'm dressed like a man doesn't mean I have to smell like one. And then she thinks she's got this moment to like, you know, relax and clean off and then the rest of the men come like out there so it's like an awkward moment for her where she almost gets caught and <laughs> is very uncomfortable was <laughs> it so mushu is like oh they're definitely going to be able to notice some differences you know yeah, yeah. like when they're in the water together he says something like i could think of a couple things they'll notice so definitely um some jokes for adults in there mushu comes to her safety ling is kind of like the jokester of the group it's like, come on, let's fight uh, Yao, who's on the, the rock. Let's fight him off. Of course, she can't come out of the water because they'll see everything. So Mushu provides a great distraction by biting Ling in the ass. And then you see Mushu, like, brushing his teeth vigorously after that. There's a lot of strategically placed lily pads in that scene. So we have this, yeah, I guess he kind of functions as an antagonist as well. But um, Chifu, who's kind of, I think, yes, he, maybe he feels slighted that Shang is, you know, has received this role who, and he's not as experienced. And he is not going to let them go off to war and fight. So Mushu and Kriki uh, decide to take it into their own hands. And they go into the tent to type up a letter. And I just love in this scene where it's almost like a typewriter where Kriki's using his feet to like step into the ink and like put the words on the table. It's like as as a, a copywriter, I can appreciate that Kriki's like kind of playing copywriter here. And then Mushu's looking it over and it's like, no, 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 make it more urgent. And he has to go back and do it again. I love that. And then this is the same scene where they need to convince Chifu that uh, they need to go off to war. So he and Kriki, instead of taking the horse because the horse wants nothing to do with them, they get a panda and like some armor and pretend to be a soldier. They're not like 100% convincing, but they're able to get the message across that they need to meet up with the general in the the Shaotang Pass, I think. He's like, what the fuck? But he still goes along with it because what else would you expect? You wouldn't expect that a dragon and a cricket have decided to pretend to send you off to war. I do love, though, that like when the panda takes them right up the tree and just like disappears. Brilliant. Yeah. Of course, Chifu is not paying attention, but was the panda's also like, is he like chewing at the armor as well? Yeah. It's like, oh, you've never seen this kind of horse before? You know. So I think we have one more short scene with Shan Yu to show his acumen, his, his strategic skill. I love this scene because like it, it really shows you the severity of the threat there. He sees a doll on the ground and he brings it to his men and says, you know, what do you see here? And I feel like a lot of the times when you have a villain, you tend to have these like kind of dopey sidekicks, like the ones who you can easily convince to follow you because they don't have enough intelligence themselves. And 
this time around, that's not the case. All of his sidekicks or lackeys, whatever term you want to use, are very intelligent. They pay attention to detail. So they're looking at this doll, picking up details about this town nearby. It was that they pick up the, the gunpowder. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's their weaponry. And it's like, oh, the horse hair, that's of the, the general's army. You know, like that's a specific type of horse. And then, of course, he ends it. It's got to be creepy. So let's return this doll to this girly. And you can assume later on that the, the little girl also dies. You don't see her because everyone's like been burned up. But um, they did return that doll. So as they're heading off to go meet up with the, the general's army, you have the Girl Worth Fighting For song, which is another great one. Another good one to like pair with the visuals and kind of see that, you know, the the illustrations throughout the song and then how it like transitions. There's one where um, Chang Po like you know talking about the the woman who cooks for him and then you know it says beef pork chicken and you see all of those show up in this illustration and then it transitions to this like stone sculpture so it it was a very like well illustrated scene yes so the song it's like each of the men describing what they desire in a woman none of which what milan wants to be like the first one is like a beautiful woman you know like uh like with very stunning looks and the second one's like oh she'll compliment me all the time and make me feel good about myself you know not like kind of challenging me the third one's like oh i don't care about her looks like oh this guy gets it oh i i care about what she cooks (laughs) oh okay and then it gets to milan it's like well what do you think ping it's like uh girl who has a mind of her own and speaks her mind you know like yeah I, i like that a lot and the way that this song ends there's like this abrupt end and i again listen to the song a bunch of times love putting on disney pandora and just hearing the the music up but there's this so so i've heard that abrupt end but then like seeing that visual of why there's such an abrupt end because there's the destruction of this village it's it's entirely burned down and I think it's important because, you know, while they're joking around on their way, they had a good time, they learned how to be soldiers, everything's great, there's a war going on, and they're not familiar with how serious it is right now until they see this scene, and then it's not fun and games anymore. It's the reality that they have to face. I love that that sharp cut, you know, like goes from like really cheerful, oh, typical Disney fair, all the way to no, no, forget the the main emphasis of this story is a war film. Um, They discover the village and the doll. But Chang's like, where's my father? He should have been able to stop this. And you go a little bit further, we're closer to the mountain now, you can see his entire army has been taken down of course, the general's helmet is there as well. And they're more motivated to like, kind of like move on and take this guy down now. But there's a little bit more like kind of somberness to it because, you know, they they know what they're actually facing. It's not just trying to climb a post anymore. It's, you know, trying to take down somebody who managed to take down an entire army. It's like the A team has been taken down like easily by the enemy so now the b team which is more of like the the motley crew of the you know like they're not like perfect but at least now they're adept at you know physical activities they have to not only support but they have to be the ones in between shan yu and the emperor they have to head him off in the the mountain pass shang kind of takes the his father's sword and puts the helmet on and then like bows to it like that's his can't 
bury his father, but at least can do that. And then, you know, they they head off. I will say that as much as I really enjoy this movie and the characters, the sidekicks, the songs, one thing that I really didn't like is that it's Mushu and Cricky goofing off that ignites this whole next scene it felt too easy there wasn't any build-up to it or anything like that it was just oh a firework you know goes off and it gives away their position and of course everybody thinks it's Mulan I guess technically it is because they are there because of her but still like it just it was too easy that it that happened that way there wasn't anything building up to that firework going off there wasn't anything that set it off and it just goes off and gives away their position and that was just too easy for it to happen that way i think i actually disagree like i love that it just like all of a sudden like oh firework you're gonna give away our position boom shang gets hit with an arrow and you think oh he might be dead no like he gets hit but um it just like we get thrown right into the danger I, I see that i just think that the spark that ignited that should have been more deliberate it just it was careless you you don't even see like really like tricky or mushu doing anything or fumbling around in there or trying to do something and it just goes off the next scene i think Maybe the reason it never stuck out before to me, at least, is because the next scene is very intense. Like, you're kind of holding your breath through a lot of it. And as they get closer and closer, there's a lot of urgency there. You hear, like Shang say, you know, if we die, we die with honor because honor is that, you know, big theme that keeps showing up here. And he's going to go down like his dad if he has to. So that they see Bowman, like, on the sides of the mountain shooting at them, right? They have to get away, and then the arrows are hitting the explosive cart. Of course, uh, Khan is still attached to her, trying to get away. So Mulan like goes in to save her horse, like disconnecting the horse from it. I think they still get a couple of the, the rockets, the call them fireworks, but the cannons. They get a few of them away, but she's able to get her horse to safety. And like she really cares about, you know protecting the lives of you know her fellow men and her companions i will say that i love mulan realizing how she can take them out and even though it's not conventional it's not what you know the she's been instructed to do she knows in her heart of hearts that this is the right thing to do and this is going to help them and save them and she does it anyways and she risks her life to do that like she is so close to Sean Yu at that point and still decides that that is the ultimate good and I think that's like we've been talking about that a lot in Harry Potter with the character of Dumbledore and the character of Harry that their objective is always to you know serve the greater good not necessarily like the individual or their own interest or the just the people that they love it's the greater good. And I think Mulan has a lot of that trait here too. But this is a, a great scene visually because they are able to take out the bowmen with the rockets, but they only have like a couple left now or maybe even just one left. And then you see the smoke clear. You see Shan Yu and then his giant cavalry of men all on horseback as they come down the mound. So they have the advantage. So this giant white background you see a bunch of tiny little dots of the horsemen coming to get you and they all take out their swords as if this is their final stand and mulan cannot get 
the freaking thing lit and that's where like a lot of that urgency comes in is they're like come on they're 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 gaining on you come on and she can't light it until she finally she uses mushu to ignite the flame and save the day in that situation so they're initially going to target shan yu's like take out the head of the army maybe that will help but she sees like on the reflection of her sword at the top of the mountain it's like no i got one better than that i can take out the whole army point at the top of the mountain to cause an avalanche so she takes it runs like through the front lines of her men like shang's like what is she doing you know what is he doing um and puts like the rocket right down there like in the middle of the mountain sean you can see her and he's about to like head toward her and he's got a sword out ready to swipe at her uh, and she's able to get off right before he reaches there and she hits the mountain and he looks back and they both know what she just did great strategic move by her instead of you know like she was thinking differently than the men you know who are just going for the the leader yeah absolutely i think that goes to show a lot of like mulan thinking outside the box mulan being an individual versus being you know one of many and that different perspective and and then just taking the initiative to do it herself because i mean a there's not enough time to share her plan with everybody else but you know b that's who's to say they would have listened or who's to say they would have believed her like the obvious thing to do is to go after the leader but she saw another way to make a big impact her ingenuity and her willingness to do what other people won't kind of like helps her stand out as like a true hero you know like she breaks convention you know doing something her father would have been enlisted for but then she also used her her wit, her mental ability to get, you know, the best result for her, her army and save her kingdom. Because at this point, she looks like she won for everyone. Of course, they all have to survive the avalanche. And it's just, I don't know if this is really physically possible, but her in the horse up against the avalanche, it's like a very cool sight to see as she's trying to rescue Shang, who's like caught in all of this cascading snow. So like the at the at the end of the scene, they have full respect because she's able to save him. Of course, her and her horse and Shang are off the side of the mountain. They hold on to the, the end of the arrow um, that uh, Yao shoots. It's like, all I need to do is just hold on to this and it just immediately falls through his hands. Like, oh. But then he's so upset. like, I let them slip through my fingers and the arrow comes right back into his hands. Like, oh. And then, um, you know, he, Ling, and then a bunch of the men are trying to grab it. And then Po like, grabs all of them, picks him up. Because he has the strength to carry a dozen men, plus Mulan, Shang, and a full-grown horse. It's definitely cartoonish in Disney, but you're right. They do have a lot of respect for Ping at the end of this scene. But Mulan was injured in all of this, so she passes out. and First sign of blood. Yeah. You know, like, they wanted to mean something. So when you see that red, especially as a kid... Because she did get struck by Sean Yu. But she was able to persevere even after getting hit like that. Like, I don't know if it was adrenaline. Yeah, I was going to say adrenaline. Yeah. yeah, but she, like, got away from him on horseback, was able to save Shang and the avalanche, and then climb back up. And, of course, that's how they find out that she is a woman because she needs medical treatment. And, you know, she was injured in her chest area. So the doctor kind of lets Shang know and... Then, you know, he decides that a life for life, he was grateful to Ping for saving his life and he's not going to kill Mulan. The respect is lost, but it's like uh, that that life debt has been paid back. Like, you just saved my life. I will at least give you the ability to just go home, you know, rather than losing your life. Uh, So then she's at the end of the second act, kind of like the lowest moment for the hero. You know, it's her, her horse, 
Mushu and Cricky, and they all reveal, like, oh, like, they weren't, you know, of course she wasn't really a man. Mushu wasn't really the the great spirit that the... He made himself out to be, yeah. And then Cricky, is he not even lucky, you know? And they ask, like, uh, the horse, like, what are you, like, uh, a sheep? A sheep. And the horse, like, but they do have that bonding moment. I, I do forget about that, that Mushu and, like, Mulan hug. They realize, you know, that it's going to be tough recovering from this, but we'll do it together. We started this together. We'll end it together. They kind of have that peaceful moment, like, kind of accepting, you know, we made these decisions, you know, we were trying to do the right thing, and now we will live with them. They started off this journey kind of alone on their own separate paths with their own separate objectives and now they're working together and they're not alone they have each other and of course you see the eagle fly by and somehow sean Yu and just a few of his generals are still alive after the avalanche kind of an invincible in a certain way how do you survive an avalanche but uh, he and like five other guys are they start moving down the mountain i think mulan and mushu see them it's like okay we have to stop this you know they're not safe because he'll find a way to get in and kill the emperor. So they head down. And it's another moment for the greater good. Like she knows that she's not welcome anymore, but she sees this opportunity to serve the greater good and save people to save the emperor, to save the men that she fought with and ultimately her family and all that stuff. So she follows this need to serve the greater good. We get down to China and they're having to like the capital. And they're having their celebration. They see Shang and, you know, all of the crew. And they are, look so depressed because, like, while people are just like, thank you for saving our kingdom, it's real. they know that it was really Mulan who did it. And because she's a woman, they can't have her part of this. Like, it kind of defeated Shang to cut her loose. You know, he definitely wasn't going to kill her, but he was very conflicted about that. He had a lot of respect, I think, for paying especially saving his life and i think what follows he gets even more respect for mulan as he sees her continue to try to to save the day continue to think outside the box and it, t- it takes a lot for him to kind of flip that switch and trust her because i mean at first he ignores her when she shows up on you know the horse to tell him what's going on and then while the other men initially follow her, it takes him a minute to decide, what am I going to do? I notice as they're celebrating, there's that typical, is it like a Chinese dragon? You know, like the parade thing. It's like, oh, there's multiple people in there yeah, like, moving dragon. it around. And it comes up with Shang as he's going to deliver Shan Yu's sword to the emperor. It's like, because we won. This is our form of victory. We've claimed the enemy's sword. And he has like this very weird suspicious look because the dragon's behind him. Like he knows something's not quite right. Mulan also planted that like thought in his head. And I think like he's unsure like instinctively i think he wants to trust mulan and what she has to say but like again based on expectation based on what he's been told based on what he's been taught to believe you know don't trust a woman women aren't meant to fight in war women aren't meant to know things women are meant to cook and look good and compliment you and and not speak up yeah and he struggles with that thought so i think he's definitely suspicious because instinctively he does want to trust mulan and he's fighting against intuition and expectation so at this very scene is when sean Yu reveals himself he's on top of the oh the eagle comes down swoops the sword out of Shang, uh, shang's uh hands and delivers to sean Yu, who's on top of the building you know the emperor's building 
and then out of the dragon comes of his henchmen, they knock down Shang, who tries to fight them off at first, but they knock him down, and they take the emperor. It is brilliant, though, when Shan Yu, like, reveals himself, like, he looked like he was a gargoyle in the shadow, and then he kind of stands up, and, you know, into the light, and people see who he is, and it's creepy as fuck, and just, like, a brilliant way of revealing him. He is, like, a, I mean, say demon or angel of death. He's promising to deliver on what he did from the beginning. He's inevitable. He'll keep coming. He is death. That's another Thanos comparison. He will not be stopped. So Mulan comes up to the scene, and Mulan... Shang and the group. Well, they try to get in by moving this giant like statue. I don't know how they're carrying that. It looks extremely heavy. There's no way that like they got poked. Oh yeah, that's right. But then it would still be like just one side up. They're trying to open the door with that, and Mulan's like, "No, no, come here. I have an idea." So they all follow her. Three of them follow her, and then Shang joins eventually. Yeah, like a few seconds later, like he takes a takes a moment. So of course, and then to poke fun at the like the story, you know, like. She's dressing up as a man to take her father's place. They have a reverse of that where the crew uh, dress up as concubines, female concubines, as part of her plan to distract the henchmen. It's like a reverse Mulan. Yeah, I don't know, but I thought it was also nice because she was still kind of dressed from being Ping at the beginning of the scene, and she herself was able to dress as Mulan and be Mulan to save the day. Um, appreciated that like it wasn't you know Mulan as Ping or Mulan dressed as Ping that saved the day it was Mulan as Mulan being who she really is and that's like the whole point of the story like the opening act she's pretending to be this beautified version of herself then she's pretending to be a man and then now in the final act she can finally win as just being herself and her idea like thinking outside the box and continuing to think outside the box through this whole, you know, final scene to save the emperor, to get away from Shan Yu, like, and that's, again, what saves the day is not this conventional way of thinking because many other men have died uh, on Shan Yu's sword for that reason, for thinking, you know, conventionally. So you have, so you have the distraction of Yao and that group dressed up in the, like, the fruits falling out. But the guys don't notice at first, so they just pick up the fruit, like... Yeah, you know, like they try to be like uh, chivalrous. Uh, like, like, oh, what are these? It's like concubines, ugly concubines. Uh, so they uh, distract them, then knock them out. Mulan comes in and helps knock them out. The eagle like notices Shang moving forward, trying to creep toward Shan Yu, and is about to like call out, but then gets fried by Mushu, and then turns into like it's it's without its feathers now, and is like completely like neutered now, you know. And then Mushu's like riding it around. And then we get to um, Shan Yu, like about to kill the emperor, you know, make make a scene out of it. You know, like I get to take down the leader of China. He wants the emperor to bow to him to acknowledge his strength. And the emperor says, no matter how the wind howls, the mountain cannot bow to it. And he's like taken aback by that. It's like, oh, I'll just still kill you anyway. But that's when Shang and Mulan show up to stop him. Part of me was kind of afraid that it was going to end up being Mulan paving the way for Shang to save the day or Shang to kill um, Shan Yu because I didn't remember what happened. And I'm so glad that it wasn't that. I'm glad that it was Mulan herself who saved the day. She even gets to point out to Shan Yu, the villain, like he first thinks Shang is the one who stopped him. He's like, you took this all away from me. He's like, no, that was my idea. It's like, 
the soldier from the mountain pass like i did that to you it's like not just anyone but a woman defeated you because he does dismiss her at first as like just a woman and he's not interested in going after her he's going out inter- he's interested in go- going after shang and now like uh, everyone else is able to escape including the emperor down like a zip line which she stays behind as being literally hunted by Shan Yu, which is terrifying because this guy has beaten everybody else and he's got that sword and he's physically intimidating. But with Mushu, Mushu gets the the cannon, the, well, the fireworks for her and is able to outmaneuver Shan Yu again. Like even he points out, like, I think you're out of tricks now. And then she takes um, the fan and she kind of maneuvers herself so his sword goes through her fan. So she closes it and flips the sword out of his hands and into her hands. So now he's weaponless. And does she does he put the sword like on his clothing so he's like tied down? Yeah, he gets stu- he's stuck on the roof yeah. at this point. And then Mushu targets the the rocket, so it goes like it hits him, and then he goes right into the the post with all the other fireworks and explodes, and that's his actual death. Or is it? I don't know. No, it's probably his actual death. We're not watching Milan too. I kind of want to though, <laughs> just to see what happens. I know I don't have any expectation that it's going to be good, but so yeah, she saved the day and then they go Mulan, eh? <laughs> and then, you know, they do have to go and speak with the emperor now. And she's kind of hiding behind the three guys hiding behind Shang at this point, because that's, it's not okay for a woman to do what she did. And they're all concerned about what's going to happen to her and they're going to protect her. And I think we joked um, in the last episode when we reflected on Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets that Dumbledore kind of like pulled a Michael Scott where he's like, you did this, this, and this, and you should be expelled. So I'm going to give you an award like that. And then the emperor kind of does that too. He's like, you did this, you did this, you did this, and you saved us all. So (laughs) I just uh, appreciate those kind of like deceptive moments. Those setups where you think they're about to get like brought down even if they'd done something great it's like you're the craziest man i've ever met but shang has that moment with her too when he still thinks she's ping yeah i i do love that when they do start talking i do love that he says to her is like you fight good and it's just this awkward now he's talking to a woman so it's like he almost wants to like like be impressive but he doesn't know how to talk to her anymore yeah i I appreciate like the awkwardness between them i see this like this whole last scene too where he's seen her as mulan in action and had to let go of any kind of expectations or any kind of like what's what's right what's wrong what's traditional and follow this woman who seems to have like a little bit of a, a crazy way of doing things that that isn't the normal and to, to let go and follow her and see her work and see what she can do he's just kind of in awe of her too and i like that kind of like freezes as she's about to go back to her family and then the emperor gives him some encouragement like you kind of want to go after that you know you don't meet a girl like that every dynasty he says like a more poetic line before that. And you see Shang want to say something to Mulan before she officially goes. Like he he wants to, to keep her to continue to talk to her. But again, he doesn't know what to say in the moment. And I think he's still processing a lot right then. So Mulan goes back home where she wants to. And the emperor sends her off with the sword of Shen Yu and the crest of his own crest. So 
when she gets home and you know you see her father sitting where mulan sat after feeling disgraced she comes and she shows up to her father and the first thing she does is i brought you the sword of shen yu and i brought you the crest of the emperor and like kind of like bows down at his feet and it's just like i feel like his face is kind of like just what the fuck i thought you were dead you know and she's like handing him all this stuff right before that right before she comes home um like that that very flower he was talking about on the the blossom tree came off and like flew into his lap so he took that maybe as a sign that she was gone and then she comes right in i didn't catch that i like i think i didn't process that 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 was that same like blossom that you were talking about in the beginning at least i think it was you know it could have been another one (laughs) it probably was the attention to detail and this is like pretty good so she delivers the gifts to him that the emperor gave to her the sword and the crest and he doesn't care about that like the most precious thing is just to have her as a daughter all she did for him you know like she did bring honor to her family just not in the way they expected not the way that was the way like society had like designed she did it in her own way she broke the mold and she still brought honor yeah Yeah, absolutely and i think that that's kind of opened the door for her to to do her own thing to follow her own path and um for them to trust her in order to do so uh one note before we finish this film the grandmother at the end is perfect comedy where uh she sees like shane coming in it's like oh wow sign me up for the next war even before that though she's um she says like this girl comes home with a sword should have brought home a husband and then shang shows up of course um so Milan's being polite when Shang's like, oh, would you like to stay for dinner? And then you can hear the grandma say, would you like to stay forever? Sassy grandma characters are the best. Who was the most notable character for you in this film? I'm going to be kind of basic on this one. I think Mulan you have to be takes basic it away. Yeah. I'm basic too when I said Mulan. Yeah. yeah. I think no one like there's interesting side characters, but not enough to steal away from the lead character which is what you want you know you want your lead character to be pretty someone you can follow you know you she has that great journey i appreciate like especially when this film came out in the 90s like this is a film that kind of tells girls you can be whoever you want to be you can you know do things unconventionally you don't have to follow expectation I, I really like that there's a lot of that now and that you know there definitely could be a lot more but for the 90s I think this is definitely like a movie that was needed it's a movie about a girl trying to figure out who she is going against what people expect of her and saving the day even when nobody believes in her even when she's at her lowest moment she still goes to serve the greater good to do the right thing and I think that speaks to her character and she held her own against the big bad of this by thinking outside the box and trusting her instincts and trusting her intuition. I agree with that. Uh, her inner conflict about being herself and, you know, kind of honoring her family, being able to beat Sean Yu on the spot, this difficult person who no one else could beat, outshining everyone who doesn't believe in her, including herself, because she doesn't always have the, you know, she's hesitant, like, if she's doing is the, the right thing or she'll be capable And then the most important thing is her enduring spirit, her willingness to put herself in danger to save her father, her horse from the explosives, Shang from the avalanche, and then the emperor at the end. She really cares about people, and I'm just glad that she was able to find a way to prove herself and bring honor in a way that kind of worked for her, 
you know, not necessarily having to make a compromise. This whole film was about her finding a different way, you know, not just submitting and kind of settling for the life that was given to her, but she found a new way. Great female role model. Came out when we were both kids. Glad that we have that era. What do you think of the was the Disney Renaissance films. You think of Lion King and, you know, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, but this film really stands out on its own. I'm glad we got to see it. Absolutely. I got a question for you. Plot or popcorn? Definitely plot here. It was funnier than I remembered and a lot deeper, like more than just kind of like a girl power movie. There was so much more going on. And I want to watch it again. I kind of want to watch the second one just so I can stick around with those characters, even though it's not, you know, part of the canon. And I'm really excited to see what they do with Mulan 2020 um, and how they adapt that. I think this might be the Disney film I'm most excited for that's live action since The Jungle Book. I remember it was like, okay, you know, like I can see them doing this. Um, but just the visual... You know, like, I'm glad they're actually not doing the, the songs because I feel like the songs and the other live action ones have taken me out of it. Um, I feel like having them as orchestral pieces in the film, I think that could be quite moving. Just in that trailer, I guess we can discuss the trailer a little bit. Well, first tell me for you, plot or popcorn? Oh, definitely plot. Yeah. I mean, we kind of discussed it in the noble character being Milan, you know, like her character progression and then having other smaller characters as foils for her like Mushu and Shang and even Creaky, you know, like characters who kind of defied their expectation or they lived up to it in a different way. They they brought honor in a different way than they were told. They like, you only could bring honor by doing this. No, they found a different way. So I respect that. So then predictions for how Mulan 2020 is going to go, I definitely think it's going to be a lot more serious. I don't have any other like major predictions. I just kind of, I really hope Ming-Na makes an appearance. I love Ming-Na. And I think that that would be like a nice, like kind of like nod to the animated uh, version of it. But I'm, I'm really excited. I think like we went back and forth a lot on whether it would be worth paying $30 for just because that's a little bit more than we would probably spend to go see it in theaters. But at the end of the day, we're huge Disney fans, you know, so we're, it's another excuse to eat popcorn. So we're going to do it. Yeah, this film is really curious because it, we can talk about this in the next podcast, but how, you know, it was supposed to come out. This is one of the first films that got you know, like removed from its release date because it was in March and then it was in July and now it's just going to be a Disney Plus uh, thing. Yeah, we don't know when we're going to go back to the theaters, you know, even when they open up, you know, like, do we feel safe going? At least with here, we can have that safety and enjoy a film that we haven't seen before or at least in a different light. I think one of the things we've been thinking about is doing a post on our blog about kind of where we see the future of movies going and kind of our opinions on it as well. So you can stay tuned for that. Otherwise, we have another episode coming out on Thursday, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And then next Tuesday, a week from today, when this episode is being released, you can hear our reflection on Mulan 2020. Then we'll continue the Harry Potter series throughout September. Yep. And we will move on to Halloween after that, which will be fun. Yeah. And 
as always, if you feel like you want to share some opinions with us, um, you can find us on Instagram at just here for the popcorn podcast, or you can email us at just here for the popcorn podcast at gmail.com. We will link that in the show notes and let us know if you do, you know, send anything or want to share anything. We would be happy to share it next week on this podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week. Be safe, everyone. Bye.